Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons. And I'm Joshua Simmons. We are two brothers who love fly fishing, our families, and our men of faith. But like most of you listening, we're still not experts on any of those subjects. So our hope is to speak with as many people that we believe are experts on these subjects and pose the questions that most of us are asking. So thanks for joining us along the journey as we seek to inspire and encourage dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, fatherhood, and faith on the fly. Coming up on today's episode. At stream level, we discover a perfect little river winding through a gravelly bed of miniature riffles, runs, and pools. Skyla hands me a bent willow stick and finds one for herself. Here's your fly rod, Dad, and here's mine. She crouches at water's edge and with intense concentration, swishes the stick through the small pool. At last, a current-born maple leaf folds itself around her stick and she lifts it triumphantly for my inspection, shouting, Fish on! I got one! We measure it. We admire it. We discuss it. Ultimately, we decide to release it. Daddy, she says, now it's your turn to fish. We alternate for nearly an hour, landing dozens of leaves, deciding where the best spots are, and naming the pools. We laugh and high-five. We forget to eat the lunch in our pack. Dad, she says, folding her icy fingers into my hand, I'm having a lot of fun fishing with you. And suddenly it occurs to me that this may be one of the best fishing trips of my life. That was Dylan Tomine reading an excerpt from his book, Headwaters, The Adventures, Obsession, and Evolution of a Fly Fisherman, coming up on today's episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I am Caleb Simmons, joined by my brother, Joshua Simmons. Joshua, how are you? Hey, Caleb, man, doing great. Want to just tell everyone how thankful we are. Once again, we've had so much great feedback from the uh, Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival and met so many cool people. But, man, we are super excited about our episode for today. But before we dive into that and how we kind of met our uh, special guest, Dylan Let's uh, just give a little recap of what's been going on. First of all, you got to do a little fishing on Friday. Yeah, man. Got to take a good friend of mine out and um, had a great day on the water. Uh, got to get on the boat, and that was a good time. We went and floated the Tuxedo here in western North Carolina. And, uh, man, we had a really cool uh, new tool in the arsenal for the boat, and uh, it was really exciting. Yeah, I want to just say yeah. a big thank you and a big uh, just shout out to our friends over at Turtle Box Audio. Uh, Turtle Box Audio makes speakers that you can just do anything with they're waterproof they're dirt proof they're mud proof um and they have the best sound in out, outdoor sound it's crazy how good they work we used it at the fly fishing show to jam to kind of like before we set up every morning and kind of have some tunes on and then you got to take it on the first maiden voyage on the river rat and uh, we threw up a cool picture of that man so just folks you need to go check out turtle box audio uh, for all your outdoor speaker needs, they are some of the best. They, if they are the best speaker made for outdoor use. Yeah, it was awesome. We just strapped that bad boy to the boat and uh, didn't feel worried about splash or anything like that. And dude, literally, we had some great tunage rolling down the river the whole day. It was a great time. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was awesome. Thanks to Turtle Box Audio for that awesome new tool for our fly fishing arsenal. And uh, yeah, man. So excited about today's episode. Got to get on the water though, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, really excited just fun time to be outside here lately uh weather was perfect um really just trying to find some more trout and uh that's been really exciting 
Yeah, it's still a good time to do that. Uh, some people forget about the winter months for trout fishing, but it's still good. I love right fishing in the winter. Yeah, it's nice. So not here's, a lot of people. here's the crazy thing about that trip. We were on like a major river here in Western North Carolina. We saw one other angler the whole day. Now it was a it was a Friday, so it wasn't technically the weekend, but still. But I was shocked, and uh, we had to deal with some wind, which made things interesting. And maybe that's why nobody else was out there. We were too stupid and. The wind didn't slow us down, but um, but we had a good time, and uh, so yeah, it's a great time. Don't don't forget the winter. Winter's a great time to fish around here. One other thing before we jump into our little introduction here about Dylan, uh, update from behind the vice of me, my vice, uh, brought to you by aflyco.com. Check out aflyco for all your scissors and tool needs for fly fishing. Uh, use Dad's twenty for a discount there, twenty percent off. But Caleb, man, I just want to give a big shout out to How Howie Fisher, Howard the Duck uh 23 on instagram he sent me one of his pre preloaded fly tying kits yeah and uh man it was for somebody like me it's great had all the materials in there to tie up some uh some bugs and it was really cool so i'd encourage all you guys if you're kind of wondering what fly to tie in the winter months um check out uh fisher flies uh check out howie on instagram give him a shout and just say hey man i'd like one of these uh these kits it's got everything you need in to tie like six um, to 12 variations depending on how many you want you can talk to howie to uh, tie the fly and it's got all the materials in there so what'd you learn how to tie uh what did you call it, it was, it's the the pink hog the pink hog yeah and yeah, i tied man. a decent one um and i've got some more actually on the vice over there to tie up so uh howie gave his uh, thumbs up of approval so it wasn't that bad <laughs> that's great man well uh that's fun and uh definitely want to try to get more time behind the vice here lately been really slow just been really busy it's been a busy season we've had a lot of things going on and uh even like coming out of the holidays i thought things would slow down but it feels like things have just picked up even more well around here considering we took you know three days to go to virginia and two of those were you know 12 hours in the car that <laughs> can't really tie flies <laughs> in the car true. and then we we've just been really busy because when you get back from a trip like that you kind of want to see uh your children didn't get to go and one of my children didn't get to go so you want to spend time with them and it's like wrestling back and forth so yeah we've, we've been kind of busy it's supposed to be winter tying months but we really haven't had a chance to do that because the weather's been kind of calm we need one big snow if we get a big snow we'll be snowed <laughs> that'll, into that'll that'll get us some time out some flies for, sure. for sure um so let's transition man to our episode today caleb I, I first found out about dylan uh in his book headwaters which he has another book but the main book we're talking about today in our episode is headwaters and uh, i heard about this book from i think another podcast i listened to and I immediately got online, got online on Instagram, messaged Dylan and said, hey, I'm really intrigued about this book. Uh, I think I'm going to buy a copy and start reading it. Sounds really awesome. Um, love what you're doing. And uh, for me, the non-reader to uh, be able to, you know, once again, read a fly fishing book was, was pretty impressive. And there's, there's a, the intro that we gave today where he's reading that story about him and his daughter um, he was kind enough and gracious enough to read that whole story in the middle of this episode. And it's just a, it's probably one of the highlights of this show for me that we've done with anybody. It's just a great story about being with your uh, children outside. And so just want to thanks to Dylan for, for being on the show today. It's been, it's a really cool episode, man. He, we go all over the place, but we really focus on kind of toward the end, him just being a father and uh, what that's looked like for him now that his kids are older. Yeah, this is a really cool story. I got to give you props because this is maybe the first time you've ever introduced me to a book. So uh, thanks for that because I don't think you – you don't give me a lot of book suggestions, and this was a great one. Well, maybe it's something that's going to change now because, you know, you gave – introduced me to the Coggins book and uh, to our friend David Coggins, and now I introduced you to Mr. Dylan here. So maybe we'll just go back. It's your turn. Balls in My your turn. court. Yeah. All right. Well, 
there's a lot of great trout books out there. So I'm, or fly fishing books out there even. So uh, I'm sure we'll find some good ones here in the near future. So yeah, thanks to Dylan for this amazing conversation. Um, loved all the stuff that we get into and uh, really love him telling his story about his evolution as a fly fisherman from just loving it and getting excited and uh, wanting to go chase as many fish as he can. And then evolving into being more of a, a conservationist and then being able to spend time with his kids out on the water is hugely important for him as well. And so you're going to hear all that in today's conversation with Mr. Dylan Tomine. And one thing he says in there that we talk about, we didn't really probably do as many stories from the book as a lot of other people who's talked to, because we spent a lot of time going down to uh, some, some rabbit holes about just being fathers and a couple of stories that maybe are not the crazy stories of the book. So I definitely encourage everyone, uh, if you're a fly angler of, or just like adventure, go check out this book. Um, we plug it many times in the episode. And also, Caleb, just want to remind everyone, if you uh, find this episode you know, enjoyable, please share it with a friend. It really helps us out. And uh, any word of mouth is just the best way to get our show to uh, more and more people so that we can continue to do what we do. All right. So uh, we're going to pause now for a few words from some of our sponsors, and then we'll dive into today's episode and our conversation with Mr. Dylan Tomine. <music> Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Maggie Valley Fly Shop is your go-to stop in Western North Carolina for all your fly fishing needs. Whether you're looking to book a guided trip or you're wanting to go catch some gear that you may need before you hit the stream, hop into Maggie Valley Fly Shop, grab a cup of coffee, get all the gear you need, and go enjoy a great day on the water in Western North Carolina. You can also check them out online at maggievalleyflyshop.com. Dads on the Fly is also brought to you by Trout Routes. Joshua, when we are looking for new places to go catch trout, I can think of no better resource to use than the Trout Routes app. It has been an awesome thing to help us find more trout to catch. Yeah, man, whether exploring new water or just being a new angler at all, Trout Routes now includes all of the lower 48 states on their amazing app that can be found anywhere you get your apps. So make sure and download Trout Routes today for all your fly fishing adventures. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. Joshua and I are sitting down in the Dads on the Fly studio tonight, and Joshua, I am very excited for today's special guest, man. Uh, can't wait for everybody to hear from an awesome uh, fly fishing expert, author, and uh, you want to tell your story a little bit about, about finding our guest tonight? You know me, man. I'm the guest finder for this show, and uh, I heard a podcast with our special guest tonight, and mainly about uh, conservation and these massive steelhead and salmon that I've never even touched or caught or even fished for. Um, but it, I went out and bought his, his book, which we're going to talk about in a second. And in the middle of his book, he tells a great story, which we're going to get into in the podcast. And I realized that our special guest is definitely um, a true lover of fly fishing, but a lover of his kids, man. And that's what just uh, drew me to. And I'm so gracious that he took the time to be with us tonight. So why don't you tell everybody who we're talking with tonight, Caleb? Yeah, so everyone, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Dylan. So, Mina, Dylan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Well, we uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend some time with us. So just to let everyone know, Dylan is a, a Patagonia fly fishing ambassador. He's a writer, a father, a conservation advocate, and uh, a Apparently, you're a covering sink, sink tip addict, so uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit as well. And uh, he's an accomplished author, and uh, Joshua introduced me to your book, Dylan Headwaters. Um, read it very quickly because uh, just was enthralled 
by all the great stories. And uh, so thank you. For, thank you for the book. First of all, um, it is phenomenal. Wow. Well, th- man, those are uh, kind words indeed. I really appreciate it. And I, I, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, you guys, if you know, because your podcast and your interests are about uh, fly fishing and how it relates to to being a dad and, and kids and stuff like in some ways, I kind of wrote this book just for you guys. Oh, it felt like that when I was reading it. I'll tell you that for sure. And we're going to dive into that book here in a minute. But I wanted to start with um, without giving away, we want people to go check out the book. So without giving away too much of the book, tell uh, tell our listeners kind of your story, which is <laughs> that alone could probably go for an episode. It's such a cool thing what you're doing, but how you got into fly fishing at such a young age. I, um, you know, it's crazy because to me, I, I grew up just obsessed with fish, like all, all of my memories, um, and all the old photos of me and everything all center around fish. Like even my earliest memories are, um, you know, waiting in the car for my dad to come back from salmon fishing. And, um, and then, you know, I think every kid at some point anyway, before their teenager wants to be like their dad. And, um, so, you know, I was tagging along with him fishing and, um, and I, I recently I've sort of realized that it wasn't necessarily the fishing that hooked me in the beginning. It was the fish and fishing was a way to get close enough to the fish to touch them and look at them and see them up close. And for some reason, I've just always been like obsessed with fish. And so fishing was kind of the natural, um, the progression or the way that you would, you know, it's the easiest way to get a fish close enough that you could actually hold it in your hand and look at it. And, um, I think that's, that was sort of the beginning. And, um, I started fishing with my dad and hanging out with him when I was probably three or four years old and then, um, kept, you know, kept on going. I think, I think my dad bought me a fly rod, um, when I was, eight or nine and then um kind of just took off from there and then at some point in that journey you you got that obsession for for steelhead correct is that is that the way it kind of yeah it's a it's a bad addiction man don't start i'm telling you (laughs) it's uh it's uh yeah people you know i mean lives are ruined from that and um especially now with you know i mean steelhead have kind of become this unicorn it's, it's one of those things I think where if you find this obsession and it, or the, uh, maybe the obsession finds you, it, it's, it's just like any other addiction that, you know, other things stop mattering as much and careers are thrown away and marriages are destroyed and all that stuff from, uh, uh, just in the pursuit of, like I was saying, it's, it's sort of a unicorn these days. There aren't a whole lot of them, uh, left. And so it's tough, but, well, you can you can throw away a life looking for steelhead. So you went from uh, being a young child, uh, became obsessed with steelhead, and somehow that's transitioned. Talk a little bit about your transition into what is now the fly fishing industry as a as a writer and a conservationist. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe that it's even you know a quote unquote industry. <laughs> I realize that there is a business. There isn't. A whole lot of money to be made for for what we're calling an industry um but uh, it felt natural for me i think um because i spent so much time fishing and um that was you know they say write about what you know and do what you know and so um i was fortunate to hook up with patagonia um which makes 
excellent fly fishing equipment as far as apparel and waders and stuff. And, um, and they've been really supportive of not just my fishing, but of conservation projects that I'm interested in. And, um, so it's been just, uh, for me, a really great association. Um, you know, I'm sure every, <laughs> we're not anywhere near what Nike pays Michael Jordan or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but it, uh, <laughs> You know, you're rarely going to hear an ambassador for a company say anything bad, but I, I honestly mean it that it's a really great company and I'm really proud to be a part of them. Oh, man, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, you, you were talking a little bit, Dylan, about your kind of transition into that. One of the things that I loved about um, about your book, Headwaters, that's the name of the book, uh, Headwaters, The Adventure, Obsession, and Evolution of a Fly Fisherman, um, is you really in between all of your short stories and even as you read all of these short stories that, that make up this book, you really see that throughout the book, kind of like your evolution of being a kid, you know, sitting there um, on the stream while your mom and your little brother are hanging out in the car waiting on you. Um, which is so cool, by the way, I think that's so neat the way your mom invested in you and allowed you to do that. Um, and, uh, but then you, you kind of progress throughout the book as you learn more about fish, as you learn more about their habitat, as you learn more about um, what fly fishing really is and what it isn't. Uh, you really see that through the book. And I just found that very fascinating. I think, you know, one of the interesting things, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why I, I made this book was um, I think it's really interesting to me to look at how anybody who's obsessed with something. I mean, it doesn't have to be fly fishing, which it was in my case and your case, um, you know, could be skiing or rock climbing or, you know, I guess more profitably finance <laughs> or, you know, whatever your, you know, stocks and bonds, Stock whatever your, yeah, whatever your obsession. Unfortunately, I, my obsession was something where you lose money instead of make money. But um, I think what's interesting to me is how people, how the way they think about the thing that they're obsessed with, how that thinking changes over mm. time, right? Your life changes, your life situation changes. Um, and, you know, in the case of steelhead fishing, the the availability of the resource changes. And so I, I feel like, like there's very few people that are obsessed with something that are static, you know, that, that don't change that how your relationship with whatever that pursuit is, um, is just, inevitably going to going to be different in each year and each day and each you know how you feel about something i think and to me that's the most interesting part about obsession is is that it's not static that there's a change over time and, and just to speak about the book for a second the book is a series of of your a lot of those stories you had written for other publications correct and and then you yeah. compiled them into the book yeah, so I, I tried to do it chronologically over, you know, the story span about a 20-year period where during a time where I think my relationship with fishing kind of changed quite a bit. And so rather than write just in retrospect, like here's what happened when I was doing this, to take pieces of writing that I did in the time over those 20 years and then put them together, you know, more or less in order um, I, I felt like was a better way to demonstrate the change than to tell somebody about the change. You know, you'll see like, so when you read the book in the ver the beginning, you know, the first third of the book, mostly what I was interested in writing about was just all out adventure fishing. Mm. 
you know, and then I think towards the middle section is when the awareness dawned on me that we have this responsibility for the resource and that the resource that I was dependent on, you know, wild steelhead was, was going away pretty rapidly. And so there's much more, uh, the middle section of the book has a lot more conservation writing and, and thinking. Um, and then the back third of the book, I think is, um, you know, more about, um, I guess a 20 year later view of those same pursuits of going fishing. And, but now my kids are older. And so they're most often my fishing that I was writing about was had kids involved and, and, you know, family life. And, and I think part of that is that the, that evolution you're talking about is that the last third of the book, the evolution is much more around the people and the experience than mm. just the catching of the fish. Um, so you can see that first third is like kind of this maniac, like, you know, take no prisoners fishing. And then you see this sort of concern for the resource and conservation writing. And then you see a focus that's really about about people and places and culture and, and that sort of thing. And that's how I see it in my mind. Is that is that apparent to you as a reader? Makes so much sense. And especially as you explain it, um, I I definitely was drawn to that part of the story of just the fact of how you have evolved. Um, so if you don't mind us asking, how long have you been fly fishing? So I'm, uh, I'm 56 years old now. And I started, I started fishing when I was probably two or three. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then I started fly fishing. My dad was a fly fisherman. So I started really probably when I was eight, nine, 10. And, um, and then I remember when I was 11, it was a big deal going to the store and um, my dad was going to buy me my first like good fly rod. And at that time it was the Brown Fenwick fiberglass rod was the state of the art. Nice. That was what everybody was jonesing for. And so um, it was a huge deal. I remember like, like getting ready and going to the store was, it was like this big celebration that I got this rod and I still have it now. And it, now it feels like this weird floppy short kind of thing <laughs> yeah. modern fly rods. Um, but yeah, so, so the fly fishing for me started at, you know, before I was 10 for sure. So for someone who's been doing it for so long, I think the thing that drew me to the story was this was your kind of evolution through fly fishing or through fishing in general and seeing kind of knowing kind of about how long you'd been doing it and then seeing where I'm at in my own journey. Oh yeah. And, and seeing, you where, know, where that are you? I, and that's what I think I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> is, is, <laughs> as, is as I'm evolving. I think one of the things, you know, the gung ho, like we're going every time we get the chance The like, it's just all about catching as many fish as we can get or catching the biggest fish or just going after the biggest adventure that we can find, you know, getting on different water, doing all these different things. I could totally remember being that way, probably not that long ago. Um, that was just so wrapped up in the fishing, but now, and, and I think it's really changed probably in the last couple of years because we've been able to talk to some really amazing people like yourself who have kind of exposed to me that it's not just about that. Like, it's not just I about that. I, I thought you were going to say, we've talked to some really interesting people and you No, <laughs> like <laughs> you <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> definitely not. And, um, but it's just, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think, uh, I've started to really see, uh, what it's really about, you know, you have that, you have that one, uh, short story, uh, in the book, um, just called what is fly fishing. 
And uh, I loved that. Like that resonated so much with me as I was reading it because, you know, it, it's not just about the, the fish. It's about, or even catching the fish. It's about, it's about the ride. It's about waking up early. It's about seeing the sunrise. It's about, you know, getting stuck on the side of the river with, with your brother or, or what, you know, that for me. And, and that's the stuff that, that I think, I think the fishing is what drew me to it and got me hooked, addicted, but now it's just continuing to evolve so much. Yeah. I, I think it's mostly in retrospect, like when you look back, right? Like, like, I don't know, you go fishing, you have to eat something. So you yeah. eat something and you keep fishing. But when you look back on it, you think like, man, that was so like just sitting on the side of the river, eating a sandwich with my buddy was like, that was what I remember about that day. Or, um, you know, I think it's in one of the stories in the book too, about just, um, the fast food drive through breakfast with my girlfriend at the time of like, like now I look back at that and go, Oh, that was fun. Like we'd go get a McMuffin and like at, you know, 6am in the dark. And, and I think that, that, that it's, it's a more, um, like, like rich way of looking at the fishing experience when you take some of the, like, I'm a type a goal oriented, like I want to catch fish if I go fishing, but to be able to step back and go, Oh, but it's also about time with your kid or your buddy. And it's time, um, you know, listening to music and singing along while you're driving or, you know, I mean, just those little pieces of it that I think like to me, there's, uh, we're so busy all the time, you know, and there's so much distraction that, you know, I'm getting a text and a call and I got to check my email inbox and there, you know, there's just a million things, my calendar. And, and when you go fishing to me is like, it's easier for all that stuff to kind of get pushed into the background and you're just living for kind of the moment, the next cast, the, that sort of thing. And I don't know, that sounds maybe a little too romantic or, or philosophical, but it, it's true for me is that a lot of it becomes the other pieces aside from the fish. The fishing's the reason, like you say, right? Like that draws you and makes you go um, do these things, but it's the, so the other pieces of it that oftentimes I find kind of stay with you. Well, I just was thinking, as you said that with Caleb about, you know, where I am in my journey and I can remember being so similar to what you're saying, type A, like we're going fishing. By golly, we're not, we don't have time to stop and break. Like we got to get to the water. Ah. And, and now I've, and it really has happened a lot through us with this show and just spending so much more time thinking about fishing, but also thinking about these people that we're going to get to meet like yourself. And man, I just, I, I just was so, when I read this book, every story, I just, I could see myself with you because it was like I was experiencing it. And to me, that's huge when you're reading a book and you can feel like you're there um, because you you did an awesome job of, you know, some of the things that just would make me laugh. And then like the things that would be said that would make me laugh, like yeah, that's something I would do or like the things that didn't go right in some of the trips, you know. And I think now in where I'm at in my journey as I'm in it to – Obviously, I want to catch fish. There's species I haven't called. I have these bucket list things I want to do, but I don't take for granted any experience I get with the people I fish with, whether it's Caleb or other people I get to fish with. And I don't get to take, and I don't take for granted talking to people like yourself or some of these other amazing people we've had on this show to learn. I'm just, I'm in that zone of, of learning. And part of what I learned 
in in reading your book and watching the artificial documentary that was put out of the film that was put out by Patagonia was I, I'm in a place I've been fishing fly fish for about 10 years that I need to learn more. Yeah. Um, that I need to learn more about conservation. Um, that really hit me hard reading this book. And I, I think it's, I think it's different in some ways. And I wanted you to speak to it a little bit, but I know if you've not seen artificial folks, I highly recommend it as a trout guy. I'm not sure how all that, like corresponds here. I think it's some similarities, but what is it that when you kind of realized, Hey, I've got to take care of these fish. I think, you know, first of all, I'd say as if you're a trout fisherman, that um, the hatchery problem that we talk about a lot in artificial is absolutely um, applicable to, to trout as well. There's, there's a small piece of the movie about, um, about Montana, you know, and that when Montana, it's, you know, it's a, it almost seems like it's hard to believe, but the, the Reader's Digest version was that, um, you know, they were experiencing this decline of trout populations in their rivers in Montana um, in the 60s. And they hired this young biologist to come in and look and figure out what it was. And everybody at that time thought that it was from stream dewatering because the, the ranching um, and agriculture had really grown. And so they were diverting water out of the rivers and people thought that's why the trout fishing's going downhill. Um, and what he found was that in every place where they were planting hatchery trout, the overall trout population was crashing. And somehow he talked them, the state into canceling the trout hatchery program for rivers in Montana, wherever there were naturally reproducing trout. Uh, and the result of it was was like mind boggling that I think, you know, it, within four years of canceling the program, the trout biomass was up 800 or no, the number of trout was up 800 percent and the trout biomass, the overall weight of all the trout in the river was up a thousand percent. And so, you know, I think intuitively you think if we add more fish, there will be more fish. But it turns out because of competition and the bad genetics and all those problems with hatchery fish, that when you add more fish, you end up with less fish, right? And and so that's applicable all over. And I think, you know, it might be not directly applicable because there's probably a lot of protections in place for the native brook trout where you live, is my guess, is that they're not throwing stalker rainbows on top of them and doing all that sort of stuff. But um, I think wherever... You know, and it might not be hatcheries. It might be there's places where there's spawning passage issues because of road culverts, or it might be, um, you know, that there's plans to log streams you like right down to the water's edge, and it's going to create all kinds of sediment and runoff problems, or they're going to build a dam on the river that you like, or, you know, there's, there's a, it turns out here that one of the big problems um, for trout and salmon in the streams around here is, um, is brake dust and other drippings from cars, you know? And so if there's a road right next to a river and all summer long people are driving and these little bits of copper brake dust are piling up on the side of the road, when it rains, it washes it into the river and copper is toxic to all aquatic life. So, you know, you get a little runoff event and there's fish belly up, you know, downstream from where the culvert's running off the road. Uh, so I think like, like the idea of, learning what you can do to protect your fishery 
even if there aren't obvious problems, I think it's important because the threats are always coming. Like it's going to be something. And, you know, whether you're a striper fisherman on the East Coast and you're concerned about slot limits or reproduction, if you're, you know, a bonefish guy in the in the Keys and you're experiencing loss of your fishery, trout fishermen in the Great Smoky Mountains, you know, salmon and steelhead on the West Coast, all of that stuff that I feel like it's it's really important for anglers to to function kind of as activists or guardians to to protect it because they're pretty fragile. Like it can go away pretty fast. And then, um, you know, and then once it's gone, it's really hard to get back. So it's better to be kind of preventive, I think. Just even hearing you talk about that just shows me all that I have to learn. And I I think that's part of what I loved about your book. And then the documentary that Joshua mentioned artificial, we'll, we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes on this episode. Um, where do you think that really started in you? You know, you talked about, and, and I, I have an idea cause it kind of goes to where your evolution was in the book. Like you were saying, like the first third of your book was all about, you know, the excitement, the, the fun of being out and these awesome stories. And then you tell a story about a third way through about taking your daughter fishing. And then it seems like the second third of the book is a lot of conservation. Did becoming a dad have a lot to do with why you became so serious about um, taking care of these fish? Absolutely. I mean, there were two things that happened around the same time. And so um, one of them was the closure of my home river because the number of fish had had plummeted so badly that um, the state determined that, that it wasn't um, that even catch and release fly fishing would be too dangerous to what was left of, of the fish run there. And, um, that was followed very short. So that was the first gut punch. That was like the sucker punch. And I was, I literally until that moment, I'd never thought about conservation ever. Like if conservation was conserving enough cash to buy gas and pizza. <laughs> there you go. You know, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, so, so that was the first sort of of the two things that happened. And then shortly after that, um, my first child, my daughter, Skyla, was born. And and between the two of those things, so one of them was fear of, of losing this thing that I built my life around, which was my home river. And then um, I, my guess is you probably feel the same way, is that then when you have a, a kid – you can't help but want like the very best for your kid. And the realization for me is that my, my children, the way things were going probably wouldn't be able to experience the same things I did because they were, they were getting ruined, you know? And so between those two things, I can't think of a more potent sort of combination to, um, to turn somebody into, into a reluctant conservationist. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd rather not do conservation stuff. I'd rather just go fishing and not worry about it. But, you know, if, if the fishermen don't do it, nobody will because mm. the fishermen are the ones that really care about the fish and the rivers and the lakes and ponds where they live. So, um, you know, I, my immediate response was to look around and go, Hey, somebody's got to do something yeah. about this. And, and then I was like, Oh, you know, dang it, nobody, nobody's going to do something. I guess I have to do something, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think kids, 
you know, I, it's cliche, right? Everybody talks about you feel this responsibility. You start thinking about generations down the line when you have kids, but it's, you know, it's, it's an old cliche because it's so true. And I think because it's so universal. Well, that brings me to one question that I wanted to ask you. And I, I could, I could see you. I felt like I myself, it brought up so many questions and you could almost see in the book, you wrestling with these things because you just alluded to like the brake dust and, and different things. And so there's that fine line of, you know, I want to spend some money and fly on a jet to wherever to catch these awesome fish. And, but I want to still like be a, a good steward of the, re- you know, and I, I got to, so I was like, well, how do we, and what, what would you say is just, just the best thing? Turmoil yeah, the inner up. turmoil. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Sure. The inner yeah. turmoil. So it's just an, on an everyday, I mean, obviously, you know, pick up trash on the stream, that little thing is what we teach our kids, but, and what we do when we're out and about, but what is something that maybe if I'm listening to this show and I'm talking to you, I, I can do better just in my every week or every biweekly or say, I only get to fish one time a month. What is something I can do when I'm on the water? You're pointing out the great hypocrisy of of a lot of us, and especially all the travel in the book that I wrote. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I wrestle with this myself a lot on several levels. One is just, you know, how much am I contributing to the problem just by my going fishing? You know, I'm driving out there, I'm putting brake dust on the road, I'm burning gasoline, um, you know, all these sort of things. And you really can't argue that when you catch and release a fish that it's doing any good to that individual fish, right? You know, and so there is like, I think this tension that that we all have to wrestle with. And, and for me, it's acknowledging that, yes, I'm doing harm. What can I do to mitigate or make up for that harm, you know, to... I don't know, to be able to feel okay about what I'm doing. And, and, you know, and then on the other level, I think that is interesting now is that the big threat that's hanging over everything is climate change, right? That especially if you're, you know, maybe less so if you're a bass fisherman or something, but if you are trout, salmon, steelhead, cold, clean water is essential. And well, actually human beings need clean water too, but, but, you know, I mean, I think in the, in the big picture that, uh, you know, do I focus my efforts on this huge giant gorilla of climate change that seems almost insurmountable? Or do I need to focus on trying to fix my home river? And, you know, is that become pointless in the face of climate change? Mm. And, um, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, like how I sort of square it in my mind is that, um, yes, to both of them, mm. that, that healthy watersheds you know, with forest around them and oxygenating rapids and free flowing water is going to be necessary as the climate warms because it's refuge for fish that, you know, the healthy ecosystems around an individual stream is a place where fish can weather the changes that are seem to be inevitable now. Um, But that's not really enough because you can do all this stuff for your home watershed. And if the hundred year flood that now comes every 20 years scours the stream stream bed and blows everything out. It's kind of pointless, you know? And so, um, so I feel like it's a combination of things that, you know, one is the acknowledgement that, yeah, we do some harm Two is, you know, what can I do to make up for it 
on a local regional level, which is easier because every place there's some grassroots conservation group near almost everybody that's doing good work that you can support either financially or by volunteering or whatever that is. Um, and on, you know, on that level, I've been thinking more and more, especially in places where there's a lot of conservation issues, like with wild steelhead, like, I think we're at the point where a good mix is probably 50, 50 that, you know, you, if you're a fisherman that you would spend half your time, you know, an equal amount of time, uh, or money on conservation as you do actually going fishing. Right. So if you're pressed for time, but you got a lot of money, write a check that's equivalent to going to a lodge or whatever the fishing you do. If you have a lot of time, but you're short on money, you know, volunteer, you know, go to protests, to lobby, write letters to your legislature about protecting the Great Smoky Mountains or the stream you love. Um, or, you know, you could be like me and have not a lot of money and not a lot of time. <laughs> which, um, so then you got to you got to kind of figure out what that is. But I think, um, you know, on the everyday basis. The individual actions are much more effective collectively at a grassroots level. And so I think like rather than thinking like, OK, am I going to go out and clear a culvert by myself or, you know, am I going to take whatever grocery shopping baskets out of the pool that somebody threw in there. Like those are fine. That's good. But there's for sure some group near you that's doing conservation work that ha that's being advised by scientists that understands sort of the legal and the legislative process to protect things. And that's the place where I think individuals can really gain a lot of traction by, by joining, by donating time or money, um, to the groups out here, you know, I really like to support uh, the Wild Fish Conservancy and um, Native Fish Society, um, Wild Steelhead Coalition. I'm a trustee with them. Uh, and so I, I would say the best thing you can do is find a group that's doing work that's beneficial to what you're interested in and support them, you know, ask them what they can use, whether it's your time, or maybe you have some expertise, you know, you're, you know how to make a podcast, maybe you can help them publicize their issues. Um, you know, maybe you're independently wealthy, and you just write them a check, or that's not um, us. That's not us. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I just, I feel like, like that to me, rather than trying to figure it out yourself, which is really hard for the average fisherman, yeah. like, I don't, I wouldn't know where to start. Um, is finding advice and ways to engage with existing grassroots groups that are doing work that you believe in, I think is, is the, the most effective way you can apply your time or money. Well, I think that's really good wisdom. And, uh, I think that's something, you know, that's definitely, as I read the book, as I watched the, uh, documentary, um, it, it's definitely challenged me, uh, and, uh, gotten me thinking about ways to, to be able to do that more effectively. And I think part of the reason that I've been challenged is, seeing your own journey and how having kids kind of really made you think more about this. I, I'm thinking about it a lot more for my own kids. Um, they're at the age yeah. where they're starting to get into fishing. And I'm thinking about the fact of like, I want them to be able to do this when they're my age and, and even for oh, their kids one kid. day. Uh, so I have two boys, they're six and four. Oh, awesome. What a fun age. Yeah. It's good times. Wide open all the time. So I want to take this opportunity um, to transition into something that we, we really wanted to do on this part of the show. And that is if, uh, if you don't mind, uh, there's, there's one part of your book. Um, when I was reading it, I, I, I had talked to you before I started reading it and I was letting you know, I was reading it. We had kind of Instagram message back and forth. 
yeah. but there, there was this this section of the book, and I'm gonna have Caleb open it and and kind of just that I said, man, this is this is where I knew that we need to ask Dylan to come on the show. And uh, oh, thank you. yeah, and, and that's page. Uh, what page is it? It's page page ninety nine. And uh, and you've said you were kind enough, if you would, to uh, to just read that little short story for us. And um, just I can, and then I want to, I want you to reflect on it. How much that that kind of means to you? Well, I'll say this: my uh, my publicist Stephanie, who's absolutely excellent and fantastic, and helped us meet up and do all that. Um, might be a little disappointed that this is the choice, the choice because it's not the kick-ass fun adventure of, of <laughs> you know, flying around in helicopters and catching huge fish. It's kind of the opposite of that. Well, I could um, have you on again and, and to talk about Russia <laughs> and Japan. Japan. Anytime you want to <laughs> yeah. do that, we'll be more than happy to have you on for that hey, episode. And I got to say, I, I love the story about uh, catching ditch pickles, you know, man, like bass fishing. Like, I think that's great because <laughs> yeah. that's what I grew up doing. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll just put in the plug for the book is that there's a lot of out there. There is. Like like really big adventure fishing and crazy like things going on you've got um, you've got me really wanting to catch a steelhead like you've gotten me want to do it i know it's it's hard to do now and they're a unicorn but you've gotten me to where you know atlantic salmon or steelhead are definitely on my bucket list it's a terrible addiction don't <laughs> don't don't take that don't take that first drink don't take that first snort or that first injection i'm telling you like like uh preserve your sanity but um, okay, yeah, like I'd love to read this for you. Um, <clears throat> this is called The Little Things. Steelhead season is going down the tubes. Six weeks into what will become the wettest winter in memory, the rivers are over their banks and gouging new channels with explosive fury. I've just canceled yet another fishing trip. Like last week's much-anticipated trip to the Olympic Peninsula and countless other days on local rivers, this one is toast. My three-year-old daughter and I had planned to go steelhead fishing together for the first time today. Okay, I planned it, but as a kid who's enthusiastic about doing almost anything outside with dad, she said yes. Instead, we sit by the wood stove reading the very hungry caterpillar for the thousandth time and listen to rain lashing against the windows. I am going insane. A slight break in the weather, not enough to bring the rivers into shape, but enough to send us out of the house and into a light but steady drizzle. We'll put on our rain gear and venture into the woods. It's not a fishing trip, but at least Skyla and I are going outside together. Skyla dashes up the trail, splashing and sliding through a carpet of down foliage. She kneels to examine the difference between maple and alder leaves. She throws fir cones into dripping ferns. She clambers up onto a fallen cedar log and careens down its length, yelling, It's a big tree slide! At the edge of a steep ravine, we can see the normally dry bottom now contains a tiny creek brought to life, brought to temporary life by weeks of torrential rain. Daddy, she says, let's go down there. Nah, I say, with visions of us sliding down the precipitous hillside and the grueling slog back up. It's too steep, and besides, what do you want to go down there for? To go fishing in the stream, she says. I tell her we don't have fishing rods and there aren't any fish in there anyway. I tell her it's starting to rain harder and we should head home. I tell her we'll get muddy and wet. Predictably, we scramble and skid down anyway. 
At stream level, we discover a perfect little river winding through a gravelly bed of miniature riffles, runs, and pools. Skyla hands me a bent willow stick and finds one for herself. Here's your fly rod, Dad, and here's mine. She crouches at water's edge and with intense concentration, swishes the stick through the small pool. At last, a current-born maple leaf folds itself around her stick, and she lifts it triumphantly for my inspection, shouting, Fish on! I got one! We measure it. We admire it. We discuss it. Ultimately, we decide to release it. Daddy, she says, now it's your turn to fish. We alternate for nearly an hour, landing dozens of leaves, deciding where the best spots are, and naming the pools. We laugh and high-five. We forget to eat the lunch in our pack. Dad, she says, folding her icy fingers into my hand, I'm having a lot of fun fishing with you. And suddenly it occurs to me that this may be one of the best fishing trips of my life. I mean, just if you read the book, folks, and you realize where this man has gotten to fish, that to me was just so powerful. And I really appreciate you doing that for us. Oh, yeah, thanks. Any opportunity to read out loud, right? <laughs> no, that's nice. I actually, it's funny because, like, I, my kids are teenagers now. And, um, like, when I think back on those times, um, they're really, like, I think as, as valuable and as, as bright in my memory as, you know, the 20 pound steelhead or the, the other thing. And that, um, you know, when we talked about kind of the back third of the book and, and the increasing value of the experience around just the catching of fish, um, that's an example of that, that, you know, that, that it's, it, uh, the ability, I think to savor those those times um, is something that stays with you for the rest of your life, you know, and, and it's hard for me to picture now because Skyla's she's 19 years old and she's five ten, And um, you know, I, it doesn't even seem like the same person, but the fact that we had that moment together really, I think means a lot. I think also what's so cool is as a writer, you'll have that forever. And when we started this podcast, we thought it was just going to be, and we still do this on a lot of our episodes. We tell our stories, and in a way, it's a way for us to have those stories. Um, when when we get to a place that maybe, you know, maybe my ten year old son's forgotten that fish he caught, but we can go back and listen to that. And I'm sure that story. This is the way I thought about it. Was like you have that and there to cherish, and and just what a it just really resonated with me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of the the stories that I've written are kind of my way of, of making a home movie because I'm, I'm really bad. I always forget like to hit record or I, my, you know, my phone's in my pocket and I realize, Oh, I should have shot. And then, you know, you look at other people's home movies that they have and there's, I'm always jealous, right? I'm like, Oh my God, that's so great. You got to do. And, and I just, I'm super bad at that. And so being able to write things down or in your case, you know, put together a podcast, that your kids can look back on uh, because I think the value of those times doesn't occur to the kids in the moment other than that they're just having fun or whatever it is. It's really um, for, for retrospect, like, you know, it's like having a photo album or whatever, I guess, you know, nowadays, like there's no printed photos anymore. So you'll just throw your kid, your phone and go here, take a look at these, you know? 
just throw them, throw them a hard drive and say, go load these up. You can go check them out. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, well, I just thought, I, I love that story as well. And it was so funny. I kind of, uh, I read pretty quick and I, I blasted through the first third of your book, kind of like what you're talking about. And you're telling all these amazing stories about all these incredible fish and trips. And I'm literally laughing through a lot of it as I'm reading it. Cause the way you tell some of the stories is so great. Um, but then you get to that story of going in the woods with your daughter, catching leaves in a ditch basically. And you say this may be the best fishing trip yet, and and I guess that just resonated with me. Thinking about as I get ready to start, kind of getting my own kids into the outdoors, um, just how much more meaningful it, it's going to be. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I was just thinking earlier today about you know, like what you know, what do you really like about fishing or what? And one of the things that I thought about is that in today's world, it's very rare that you have occasion to like high five and celebrate and really like jump around with excitement. And fishing is one of those places where even grown ass men can jump around and high five and really celebrate some accomplishment. And, you know, in day-to-day life, it's like, you know, Hey, I got these steaks at the grocery store for 50 cents a pound less. Cause they were on sale. You know, you don't go high five and jump. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> You know, so I, I think like that's one of those things. And then to be able to share that with your buddies is is really valuable. But to be able to share it with your kids, those moments of, you know, I mean, I guess if you're in the NFL or the NBA or something, you're high-fiving all the time. But like in a regular life like mine, I don't have opportunity to jump around with excitement that often. And, and fishing brings that. Yeah. And also, I think I heard you mention this on another podcast um, and I know that you, you said you have a, a college age daughter now, correct? Yeah. And, and your son is, is, is younger. Yeah. He's 16 now. Yeah. And I know that, I think I heard you mention, you know, they, they've kind of moved your son and moved on to some athletics and he was, he's big involved in, in some sports. And as a dad, you, we talk about this on our show all the time. You follow that you've been involved in that. And maybe it's not been as many weekends um, fishing because you've maybe been watching basketball tournaments or, or whatever. And, and how important is that for us to remember as fathers that, you know, they may not always love fishing as much as we do, but the fact that they still like to go with us sometimes is really great. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing of it, right? That you plant the seeds when they're small, and then there may be a time where they move away from it and then come back to it. But the skills are there and the 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 interest is there and i think you know with the basketball tournaments my daughter played travel club volleyball and we spent a lot of long days in gyms in places in the desert where there wasn't a fish for 100 miles around um and that was you know i think maybe what you heard before was me thinking through that of that when they were small and we wanted to spend time together we did what i wanted to do Mm. and as they got older um, and develop their own interests. Like I felt like, okay, now if we want to spend time together, it's my turn to do what they want to do. Um, and so I, I, I savor and cherish the memories of, you know, long drives to basketball tournaments and just the things we talked about, or, um, you know, and certainly like watching my kids play sports is a huge highlight. Like I just, you know, I love watch. I was at 
my son's high school basketball game last night, cheering my brains out and jumping up and down and going crazy. Um, yeah, I'm that dad, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, so, so I think like there's some reciprocal kind of timing with your kids, but at the same time, um, your kids will want to come back to that for quality time with their dad, even I think when they become adults, at least that's my hope. And, and I thought about it, this maybe is sort of a, a sexist thing to say or whatever, but it was really important to me that my daughter grew up with outdoor skills on her own, that, that she wouldn't be dependent on a boyfriend or a husband to be able to drive a boat or back a trailer or cast a fly rod or whatever, you know, why, I think simply because I wanted my daughter to be an ass kicker, you know? Um, and, and so I felt like, like it's easier, it comes easier to boys to be part of that world and kind of learning those things on their own. And so, um, you know, a lot of, you know, and the fact is now Skyla is, is a really good fly caster and a strong waiter and can drive a boat and do those things. And that makes me just feel super proud that she has those things in her, uh, uh, like in her, her banks, like, like, like that the resources that you have that, I don't know if things are, if you're having a hard time or you're feeling bummed out or whatever, that you could go fishing, mm. that you could, you know, that you have the skills and it's not just bumbling around. And so, um, yeah, so that was part of my motivation around that. Well, you've definitely, uh, gotten your kids out on the water a lot. It sounds like, um, you've, you've helped them develop these skills, so for those of us who are just kind of getting started, what uh, what tips would you give us for for getting your kids out on the water and for fishing with your kids? Drink heavily. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's really aggravating. Like, like it is, it, especially with small kids, when you're trying to go fishing, there is a lot of frustration. And I, I can remember, like, like when my daughter was maybe she might've been 10 or 11 where she was just starting to be able to fly fish without me standing right next to her, you know, so that my son right now. Yeah. She was downstream. I mean, we're still together and I still have most of the flies and all that, but you know, she was doing her own thing down there and uh, you know, she would, and I was thinking, Oh, thank God. Like we're not in the place where she's tangled up on every cast and we're through all that. And I look and she's casting nicely. And so it's all good. And I said, okay, just fish down through this tail out and into that riffle. And then when I finish up here, I'll come down and meet you and then we'll figure out what to do next. And, uh, <laughs> and so she comes back up and she goes, Oh, I don't have a fly. I need another fly. And I was like, well, what happened? She goes, I don't know. There's just no fly on there. So I'm like, mm, okay, well you snapped it off on a cast or you hung up on something. And she said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, okay, tie another fly on. And she goes down there. And then like five minutes later, she comes back and goes, oh, I need another fly. And I was like, what happened? She's like, I don't know. There just wasn't a fly on there. And I'm like, ah, you're killing me, you know? And so through each level, there's like these stages of things that can aggravate you if the goal is for you to do your own fishing. And so the best advice I have, and this is like turned out to not be hard to do at all for me is that when you fish with your kids, don't take a fishing rod for yourself. Like, don't even try to fish. And what turns out for me is that I'm actually more excited and it's more fun for me if they catch the fish than if I catch the fish. 
And so I've found that like, even now I, we, uh, the kids and I went to Alaska and fished in Bristol Bay this summer. And um, we spent a week up there traipsing around in the tundra and fishing all this incredible water. And, uh, and I didn't even fish most of the time, even though they're perfectly capable of fishing, I just stand next to them and chat and we'd talk about stuff. And when they hooked a fish, I'd get super excited. And every once in a while they'd give me the rod and I'd make a few casts, but um, like, so my thing would be reduce the number of rods for the number of people <laughs> to less than one to one. And it'll be super helpful. Man, what a, what a great uh, way to look at it. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we forget that uh, we, uh, we need the spirit sometimes or the, uh, the joy of, of children fishing. You have that one story. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, where you, uh, I don't remember the name of it at the top, but I just, uh, your son was fishing and that's not going to happen. You're not going to catch anything. You're not going to catch anything. It's you're on a boat somewhere. <laughs> and it was all of a sudden and he does. And everybody's like, what in the world? And you know, those kids, the kids, they don't, they don't see the big, preparing the night before tying all the flies they don't see all that intricacy they just want to go out there and have fun and they always have this belief and this encouragement that they can catch a fish here even if we think there's no fish to catch here and um yeah and 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 i've found i mean through hard trial and error that if i'm too crazed about the fishing it ruins it for the kids you know and that like I mean, we talked earlier a little bit about about you guys saying like sometimes it's about throwing the rocks or you know climbing trees or whatever it is and you know my type a personality is like no we got to keep fishing keep fishing keep fishing and so to be able to control that a little bit and go oh you know if you want to throw rocks okay let's throw rocks who can hit that log over there and and that ends up being just as fun um but yeah so i think like like the worst recipe for taking kids fishing is if you're really wanting to catch fish and so once you disconnect that, and I do it by just not bringing a rod myself, and then it's easier for me to focus on helping them. That's what I'm going to have to start doing. Just uh, leaving, leaving, just taking one rod. That's because uh, that's my problem. Yeah. You know, I, I want to take multiples or. Well, I mean, we have figured out a couple of times. Your kids are still yeah, young enough. They like to just young. net fish. So that's yeah, always they, fun they too. Like sometimes to they just, the net, so that's they just like thing. to work the net. And, and that's cool. And my son is 11 now, and he sometimes just likes me to set hooks in hand so i'm sitting and he's he's doing the rest of it and and that can be good too but but to bring this all full circle and um we we didn't want anyone i'm so glad you shared that story from the book and we're able to read it but uh i want to just come back and we'll close with this and thank you for all those awesome tips about being a dad on the water and Throughout. I'm not saying they're going to work. Like, I, and I'm not saying it's good advice. <laughs> no, we, I'm, just, I'm just saying this is what I've done for better or for worse. And so um, please, like, don't quote me as some child-rearing expert. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just it's all been trial and error. I got gotcha. you. Uh, when you look back at this book, Headwaters, um, a lot of people always say their, their next adventure is their most fun adventure. Is there one story that stands out that you're like, I can't believe I got to do that? <laughs> My whole life, I can't believe I've been allowed to do what I do. I mean, really, like, like I honestly putting that book together made me feel so much gratitude for the people that have helped. I mean, this to me, like the greatest thing about the fishing world is, is the people that, that, 
if you ask for help, somebody will be willing to be your mentor or your teacher or help you learn a new river or, or how to tie a fly or build a, a bamboo rod or like the, the, the willingness to share, like people always say, Oh, fishermen are selfish. You know, fishermen are, they won't tell you where to fish you know, they won't even tell their own mom, like their, their favorite spots or that sort of stuff. And I've really found the opposite that, that through every stage of my life, there's been somebody there to, to help sort of grease the wheels and make things happen. And um, so I, it's hard for me to pick like one specific experience. I think, you know, I had really crazy adventures in Russia. Um, Atlantic salmon fishing was great. I, that was one um, of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Cuba was really pretty mind blowing more recently. And um you know, if any really rich people that want to bankroll something are out there, I still really want to go fish Iceland and haven't made that happen yet. So um, if some of your wealthy podcast benefactors are out there going like, man, I want to just send somebody on an awesome trip. You can sign me up for Iceland. I'm, I'm there. As long as they send us with you, then yeah. Totally. yeah, we'll go. We <laughs> yeah there's a part of that. We have to get on board with that trip. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's if it awesome. comes through you, I'll definitely. You know. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, Dylan, this has been phenomenal. Thank you again for your time um, just hanging out with us and talking a little bit about your story, your evolution into fly fishing and uh, being able to get your kids out on the water. Um, I love this conversation. And uh, anything you'd like to add before we kind of wrap things up? No, nothing really, just other than thanks a whole bunch. And, um, you know, it'd be super fun. We'll have to figure out a way to go fish together or something sometime because it seems like we'd have a lot to talk about. So Yeah, it would uh, be an exceptional time. And after reading your book, I can definitely tell you, both of us would really love a day on the water uh, with you, and, and that would be some kind of fun. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out. And um, and really the gratitude, I mean, thanks for not just for having me on this podcast, but I really admire what you're doing. And I think being able to just encourage people to involve their kids because, um, you know, we can do all we can for conservation, but it's going to be the next generation that's going to either save the planet or not save the planet. And the more kids we get that are in love with the outdoors and doing these kind of things, I think the better chance we have of their kids having some of the opportunities that we had. And, um, you know, I guess it won't matter cause I won't be around maybe, but I like to imagine in my mind that my kids can introduce their kids and their kids and their kids to some of these same things that have been so valuable to me. So, um, and I think you're doing a great service in that vein of just even talking about, about parenthood and children and going fishing. Cause that's, that's what it takes, I think. So. Uh, we appreciate that. And Dylan, thank you again um, just for the book, for uh, the, the challenge that it was. I know it was challenging for me thinking about conservation. And um, I, uh, I challenge everyone to go out there and pick it up. Uh, they can get the book wherever books are sold. Um, and uh, name again is Headwaters, The Adventures, Obsession, and Evolution of a Fly Fisherman. Um, and before we wrap up, well, one, thing about, anything- one thing about the book, you there is a way that, correct me if I'm wrong, they can get uh, through a through a local store, correct? That you will sign is that is that right? They have autograph oh, copies. Oh yeah, if if yeah, it. I mean, it's on my website. You can find it there. But if if you want a signed or inscribed copy of the book, um, Eagle Harbor Books on Bainbridge Island, you can call them or go on the web and look them up. 
And um, what they do is they take the order and then, I don't know, once a month or something, I go down there or if it's, or, you know, if one comes in, I can go the next day and I'll write what you want or sign it and then they'll ship it to you. And so that's a nice way to support kind of a really good local bookstore, not your local bookstore, but huh, my local bookstore. <laughs> that's um, really cool. Um, but they do that shipping service for me. And so if, if anybody out there wants a signed copy, um, please hit up Eagle Harbor Books. Really good. And Dylan, where else can uh, people find you online? What's the best place for them to find more about you or find more about um, kind of the projects that you're invested in? Yeah, so I have a website. It's just my name, DylanTomina.com. Um, and then sadly, I hardly ever actually look at it because I'm running around doing crazy stuff all the time. But um, But I'm pretty pretty active on Instagram. So there's a feed there if you want to look at what I'm up to, or if you want to reach out to me through direct messages, uh, Instagram's a good way to yeah. find me. That's how we met, right? I mean, he if, he if he Instagram messaged me, you know, it's like most people, after about the fifth one of this guy from Dad's on the Fly, he's like, maybe I should respond. That's usually how it works. But no, you were so kind to, <laughs> to respond with me uh, about checking out the book and stuff. So I really appreciate it. Um, just an awesome time. Thank you so much for your knowledge. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, for for conservation and and thank you for this book it's it's a great story it it i don't find many books i read to where i get a, a wave of emotions and i feel a wave of emotions reading this book and so i really appreciate it sir wow thank you that's kind words indeed i really appreciate it you guys take care and uh hopefully we'll meet up sometime sounds great dylan thank you and uh thanks everyone for listening to this podcast and until next time tight lines Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith, family, and fishing all on the fly. Make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads on the Fly. Shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all. If you'd like to check out any Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. And as always, if you can, leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.